Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to another episode of the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I'm your host for this episode, Dave Early. First, we have Drew Hanlon, NBA skills coach, CEO of Pure Sweat Basketball, trainer to the stars including Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Jordan Clarkson, R.G. Barrett, and more. So you do not want to miss that. We talk about some really fun things in terms of Joel Embiid. Where is his mindset at in terms of that MVP trophy? How hard was it to deal with those sort of freak, unpreventable injuries he dealt with? And what is he going to work on this offseason? And in the second half, we talk to someone you know well, our own Liberty Ballers, Jackson Frank, who's also with Dime Up Rocks, who's also a contributor for Basketball News and got one of the best eyes in the business. So we're going to talk to him about free agents that the Sixers could look at, some trade targets, some of the latest intel about James Harden's potential next contract, staying on a short-term deal, maybe a Tobias Harris Sixers checking the temperature on the market and how he envisions his role for next season. We got some nuggets about that to dissect too. I hope you enjoy the podcast. How you doing, coach? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. I guess the most important thing we should ask you is what is it like to be a movie star now? (laughs) <laughs> I, I was joking around with all my buddies. I said, you know, I, I heard that, you know, some are saying that that was the best 10 second cameo in movie history. But uh, now the truth was, you know, Adam Sandler was one of my favorite um, actors growing up. And so it was really cool to spend a couple of days with him, you know, filming the movie Hustle and uh, just seeing how dedicated he was to his craft. You know, the biggest reason why he wanted me to uh, be a part of the movie wasn't even just to, to get me a little cameo, but it was because he wanted to make sure that when he was doing the training scenes, he was using the right dialogue and, and you write verbiage so that he could, you know, really sound authentic in the training space, which was really cool. Just that he paid, you know, that close attention to detail uh, to make sure the movie kind of portrayed what would really go on during like a pre-draft process. So you've done that resistance workout with some of your guys. I have for sure. Yeah. That was, that was more so of like the old school training that I used to do, you know, back when I was younger, when it was more about just kind of getting guys tough and everything like that. But Uh, No, we definitely add, you know, resistance training and and falling and playing through contact to, uh, you know, everybody's training, you know, regimen just so that they can be prepared for game. How long was your day of filming that for that 10 seconds? It's crazy. So we did two scenes and I think it took us like 13 hours altogether. (laughs) I mean, just because what happens is, yeah, I mean, what happens is, you know, the thing that I didn't know about the movie industry was, you know, they, they obviously have their lines that they memorize and, and, uh, and, and, and such, but they also just kind of ad lib everything. So they try different things out. So maybe one time, you know, he'll say, uh, you know, finish stronger. And the next time, you know, the exact same scene, they'll reshoot it and they'll say, man, you got to finish through the contact. And they'll say, okay, I like that one better. And so once they nail the lines down, you know, and what kind of the scene's going to look like, um, and the camera guys are obviously working on the different angles, the director is making sure that he likes, you know, what he's getting out of the cameras. 
you know, then they have to reset the camera positions and the lighting and everything for every scene. So you're shooting the same scene, you know, 20, 30 times just to make sure that they get all the angles that they need, you know, all the lines that they need and uh, so that they get the feel and look that they're, that they're going for. Love that. You, you know, that he's such a basketball junkie Sandman, you know, he just shows up and plays pickup. So knowing that made the movie a little bit more fun for me too. Yeah. He's definitely a fan. You know, he loves basketball and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll pop in on random parks and, and join random pickup games, which is, uh, you know, always fun to see, you know, big time celebrities that that still love the game, just like they were a little kid when they first picked up the ball for the first time. It was a huge, huge season for Team Pure Sweat. I mean, you, you had a chance for an MVP, a finals MVP. Uh, I think, what, maybe six of the top 25 scorers did you have? Um, so a lot of your guys are playing really, really well and about to get paid. There's probably not a better advertisement, all the max contracts or near Mac rookie max extensions that might be going around these days for your, for your full-time clients. Right. Yeah, no, it's fun. I mean, that's obviously the goal of, of working out is to get results. And so, um, you know, Joel finishing second in MVP voting, Jason winning the Eastern conference, uh, you know, MVP in the playoffs and, and playing in the finals, Tyler hero getting six man of the year, you know, Zach Levine, being an all-star again, you know, and then we had obviously all the other guys that, you know, joined into the, you know, 20 plus point of game scores. Um, it makes it fun. You know, for me, that's when I first started training guys, that's what it was all about, helping them get the results that they want. And, uh, you know, being able to get some of those accolades, being able to have kind of the, the numbers that they all had, um, you know, is kind of a, uh, you know, it's a, a tribute to kind of all the hard work that they're putting in and, um, you know, them falling a little bit short, you know, nobody went in a title and, you know, Joel falling just short of the MVP race just just means that we still got room to grow and still got room to improve, which is the exciting part. What was that finals experience? I think I caught you at a game or two on TV. Were you in close communication with Jason? Were you texting him at halftime? What's, what was that process like? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm uh, in close communication with my guys throughout the entire season. So, you know, I, I obviously went to the games and. Um, we're doing film work before and after and, um, you know, just constantly making, trying to make adjustments. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's part of it. It's not just off season training. It's, it's about, you know, being there for them when it matters most. And obviously there's no time that matters more than the NBA finals. And you mentioned the MVP. Do you want to tell a few Sixers fans why Joel and not Jokic was MVP? <laughs> I think that uh, anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that I've, <laughs> I've spit out about a hundred reasons why. Um, but, uh, you know, I, again, I, I think, you know, I think a lot of people realize the voting process is flawed. You know, Jokic is an unbelievable player as well. I think that's one of the things that got lost in my Twitter rants was, you know, people thought I was like, oh, Jokic sucks. No, never did I say that. Never would, you know, any good basketball person think that uh, Jokic is a tremendous player. Um, I just felt like Joel had the best season and, um, you know, him winning the scoring title and him, uh, you know, being as dominant as he is on both ends of the floor, um, I thought was deserving of the MVP. What effect do you think it'll have on him to fall just short two years in a row, miss the all NBA team? Do you think he's going to come back a man on a mission to win it in his prime? Or is it like what he said after game five? It's whatever. Maybe it's not the most fair process. Maybe I'll put my, my energy into winning the whole thing and he'll sort of pivot his ultimate focus. Where do you see him falling? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that wants it all. I mean, he wants to win MVP. He wants to win it all, the championship. But his, his main focus has always been holding up a, 
you know, a, a trophy in the aspect of winning a championship. You know, he really wants to bring the city of Philadelphia a championship. And so that's what we spend our time and energy on. We, we don't focus on the MVP. That's just a byproduct of being, you know, the best player during the regular season. And, um, you know, after, you know, two years ago, him almost being a lock for MVP and then getting hurt and missing the last, you know, portion of the season, which cost him, uh, you know, an MVP trophy. And then last year where we thought that there was, you know, too many people looking at spreadsheets instead of watching actual basketball games. You know, now I think he's just kind of completely, uh, you know, turned his focus off of MVP and said, you know, hey, listen, at some point in my career, if I just continue to improve my game and keep playing dominant basketball, it'll happen. But, you know, all of all of kind of the energy and focus is on just winning a championship. He had surgery on his <coughs> thumb, his shooting thumb and his left index but not his face any update on how he's progressing is he playing is he scrimmaging is he rehabbing he facetimed me uh you know last week for the first time you know in a full sweat and uh, has been working out ever since uh you know he comes out here to la to start his on-court training um in july so that's you know we're about two weeks away now from that stuff starting up so uh everything's progressing well and and we're excited to get back to work and continue to you know grow and expand his game Speaking of, uh, we already got a report. I think it was the ringer who said he's working on his perimeter attacks and touch. Can you confirm that or talk about what you think the, uh, the goals will be this summer? Yeah. I mean, it's just continuing to add versatility to his game. So that he can't be, you know, as doubled and triple teamed in the playoffs. You know, we thought that, uh, you know, if you look the last really dominant center that won a championship was Shaquille O'Neal. And he was playing out of a triangle offense, you know, where it was very pass oriented, cut oriented. And, um, you know, you look, you know, Joel um, is so dominant when he gets the ball and, and the regular season, obviously leading the league in scoring. But in the postseason, teams are just throwing two, three guys at him. And so, um, you know, we're trying to just continue to be more and more versatile where they can't, you know, double team him as much. That just means more perimeter oriented where he can you know, face up and drive from the, the perimeter, which is a lot harder to kind of uh, throw schemes and adjustments at. Do you think that'll take away some of the pick and roll action he'll do with a guy like James Harden? There'll be more no, spot, I mean, up, if, spot ups this year? No, if you I mean, if you look at it, I mean, they, they yielded great numbers when they were in the pick and roll together. And so, um, you know, why, why go away from something that's working? Obviously, you know, Doc and the, and the Sixers coaching staff is going to, you know, put them in the positions that they think are best for the team to win. But we're just making sure that Joel has all the tools and skill set that he needs to, um, you know, to be able to perform against any type of, you know, junk defense that he's going to see in the, in, the, in the playoffs. Yeah, he talked about getting doubled and tripled and being able to kick out. And he was, you know, almost jealous, it sounded, that Jimmy Butler got to play a bunch of one-on-one. Uh, is that something you're going to look at? Or have you pulled any film? I know in the past you said that if there's a trap that's causing him problems, Miami was fronting him. You might show him some other players who have beaten looks like that. Do you have anything in mind? Yeah, I mean, we went back in the film. I mean, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant were about the only two guys that even came close to getting as double and triple teamed as him. Even LeBron. I mean, we went back and watched all LeBron, you know, kind of postseason stuff. LeBron never in his career, you know, got as fronted and denied as, you know, Joel did this postseason. So um, there's not much film to look at, you know, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, and so – uh, you know, our job is just to kind of continue to make him more versatile and continue to, uh, you know, improve his playmaking and, and passing. You know, I think he's taken a big step in the right direction, um, you know, at getting his teammates better looks. And so, um, you know, hopefully, you know, if the teams do, you know, continue to just throw their entire team at him, he'll be able to, 
you know, kick out and, and get easy looks and, and, um, you know, let, let his team beat them on those nights that they decide to commit all the bodies to Joel. How did you guys commit to, he became a really good role man really quickly. A lot of people were saying like, he's not the lob threat. He's going to struggle with this, but it looked so perfectly natural. Did you guys have to focus on that as soon as James Harden came over? No, I mean, obviously anytime you're working with a big guy, you want them to have the ability to roll and pop and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, that was something that we've always had, you know, a, a, a small, a small portion of our workouts dedicated to, but, um, James is obviously the best playmaker that he's ever played with in his career. And so, uh, you know, he was able to use all the kind of, you know, skill set that he already had and just, you know, he's such a good screener. People don't realize, you know, how, how good, how open he makes, um, you know, other people, you know, it's funny that some of my other clients that are on other teams are like, you know, man, Joel's just set such a low and wide screen that, um, you know, it's hard to get around. And so, um, when you, when you add, you know, a good screener with a, you know, a guy like James, that's you know, such a good creator, it just, it's going to, uh, you know, lead to, to good results. Joe mentioned, first of all, did you get the sense that he was really disheartened? I thought he did such a good job this year, avoiding some of the scarier falls he's had in the past. I don't know if you worked with him on deceleration and safer landings, um, but he clearly put it into play and then he gets these freak injuries and elbow to the face. Was that really tough on him to do all he could and still get hurt? Um, yeah, I don't want to speak for Joel, but I mean, it, it's obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Some of the freak injuries you talk about, you know, a couple of years back when, you know, him and Markel, uh, you know, hit heads yeah. and, you know, Markel runs into him and boom, now he has a face mask, you know, this year, obviously the last play after the game's already, you know, over Doc's getting ready to take him out of the game. And, uh, there's just no dead ball to get him out and boom, you know, elbow to the face. And now he's got to wear a face mask, you know, the, the hand injury. I mean, it's just, it's one thing after another, and it's not really, those aren't really preventable injuries They're just random acts that happen. So, um, I don't want to speak for Joel, but obviously there's been, you know, unfortunate things that have happened, especially in the postseason. And so, we're just, we're just, uh, we're just doing everything we can to prevent everything that is preventable and just, you know, hoping that, uh, we get to see, a, a you know, a, a healthy playoff run, you know, hopefully next season and, and the years, you know, to come. Are there any guys specifically that he benchmarks to, does he keep an eye on Jokic or Giannis or Kevin Durant? Himself. I mean, himself. I, I really think that, yeah, I mean, obviously he's a basketball savant. I mean, he, he knows everybody's stats in the whole NBA. He knows what everybody's doing. He not only looks at box scores, he also watches games. You know, I always brag about, you know, there would be a random Tuesday night in, in February and he'll call me and be like, man, he's like, did you see, you know, what, you know, so-and-so did in like the, you know, Milwaukee versus Indiana game. And you're like, no, I'm not watching the Milwaukee versus <laughs> Indiana game on a random Tuesday. Um, but he's always on league pass. He's always watching games. And so um, he, he has an eye out for what everybody's doing, but really he's focused on how he can improve and, and how he can become the best player that he can be. Jake Fisher was on our pod and he, he talked about you like this sort of shadow master who has a lot of more influence maybe than people realize. How close were the Sixers to getting the, uh, the sort of pure sweat dynasty like a guy like Bradley Beal? I can't comment on that. All I can say is that I, ho I hope at one point, you know, in, in an ideal world, all my clients will play on the same team so, so they can win a championship. You know, the, the only time that I get to see my guys play together is the all-star game, which is a, a good time to, for them all to play together. But, um, you know, I, uh, that's all I can say.
Do, can you tell us if they joke about it on text chains and stuff? Like, yo, we would win two chips if you came over. Put it this way. I, I, I'll say that I joke around about it all the time. If you put a, <laughs> if you put a bunch of all-stars on the same team, usually there's good results that come from it. Uh, what can Knicks, my Knicks fans friends always ask me? Like, it was funny because I saw two of your guys, Tyler and RJ, and, and those fan bases are saying, well, we can trade these guys for Donovan Mitchell. Um, but I assume you would say the Knicks should just want to keep RJ. Does he have a big leap in him? Oh, I mean, he's got better each and every year. You know, you saw him shoot 30% as a rookie from three. Second year, he shot 40%. You know, last year, he averaged 20 points a game. Um, you know, I think people sometimes forget how young these guys are. And then also just, um, you know, RJ's such a good defender, too. You know, he's, he's a two-way guy. So, um, you know, I think that RJ is going to take a huge step forward. Obviously, there's things that we know he's got to work on. He's got to be a better creator. You know, he's got to be able to finish more efficiently. Um, but he'll make those strides, and, and he's going to keep getting better each and every year, just like he has the last couple seasons. All right. I know we only got you for one more minute. Joel mentioned his retirement. <clears throat> I had fans in a panic. He said maybe in the next few years till I retire. Is that on his mind at all, that maybe his career could be shorter than fans are hoping? Oh, I, he tells me he's playing for another decade plus. So uh, I don't. I didn't hear that quote, but no, put it this way. Uh, you know, I always joke around with with my guys and I'm like, man, after you guys finish up your careers, I'm done, too. And, uh, you know, they always give me trouble about no, you got to be our, our son's trainers, you know, and daughter's trainers like their kids trainer. Um, but no, it, trust me, it, when it, when they talk about legacies and stuff like that, uh, you know, Joel thinks he's got another decade plus in them. So, um, you know, he's going to continue to involve, you know, his game so that he, uh, you know, can continue being dominant and, and being, um, you know, uh, an impactful player, even when, you know, kind of his athleticism starts to, you know, go, uh, you know, tinder on the downside, but um, no, I mean, he's just so skilled, you know, you look at like, and I'm not saying what Tim Duncan did, but Tim Duncan, you know, went from a guy that was really dominant, you know, as a scorer, as a pick and roll guy, as a, you know, kind of really a versatile player to like then in his later career, you know, kind of a passing, you know, kind of a point forward almost out of the low post. Um, you know, you also look at Kevin Love, how he went from like a 25 point a game score to a pick and pop guy. I mean, there's so many different ways that Joel could take his career, but he's so skilled and so versatile that I think that, uh, you know, however he needs to evolve to help his team win games, he'll definitely do that. All right, Coach Drew, thanks so much. Appreciate your time and uh, hope, hope to get you back again one of these days and make the Malibu Monsters in Philly. <laughs> awesome. Appreciate you, my man. All right, man. Thanks, man. Thanks so much to Coach Drew. You could go find his stuff at puresweatbasketball.com. Game skills, game results, transformation programs. In the second half, after a quick break, we're going to talk to Jackson Frank. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year 
at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm here now with Jackson. Jackson, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Really, really well. Um, thanks. I don't think I've had you on this pod before. I've, I've heard you be interviewed many times, but I don't think I've actually had the pleasure. So happy to finally get you uh, on one of these. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've been on most most of the pods in the Liberty Ballers, you know, under, under the Liberty Ballers umbrella. But I think this is a inaugural, inaugural appearance for me on this one. I don't even know what this one is. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> Jass will name it for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you have done. A killer series. I have been hanging on every one of these you've done, your free agent profiles. Um, so far, you've done a couple Garys, right? Gary Payton Jr., Gary Harris, the Martin Twins, uh, Wes Matthews. And so I've really enjoyed this. Do you have any strong feelings on some of those guys? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a bummer because I like the fit of all those guys in the Sixers, but I don't. I don't think it's plausible that many of them leave their current their current team. I think Gary Harris is probably the most likely guy, um, just be, just because he's you know he's a, he's an unrestricted free agent, and while Orlando was a good situation for him, he might you know want to go somewhere that offers more immediate winning. Um, whereas Wes Matthews, like I believe he held, and I think I wrote about it in the piece, like he held out for the, the Bucks to offer him a deal last year. Um, both the Martin Twins are restricted free agents. Gary Payton, uh, you know kind of re- like he revitalized his career with the Warriors and he, the Warriors have his early bird rights. Uh, and then I think that's everyone. So Gary Harrison is most plausible, but I also think he could get more than what the Sixers can offer. And obviously right now, as you know, their tentative cap sheet is structured, they're going to have the, the taxpayer Emily, which is about 6 million. Um, they, there is a path, I believe, to getting to the full non-taxpayer, which is about 10 million, which is probably kind of what I think Gary could get. Um, but Gary Harris is the most realistic, but even then I think he might be just outside the price range given the, you know, given how well he played last year in the defense and the shooting. I can't, I can't remember how early bird and non-bird rights work, but if, if the Warriors don't have the money to give Gary Payton a contract that he likes, maybe there's a path there if the Sixers were to open up one of those larger yeah. alleys or something. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And I think, and I mentioned it in the piece, I mean, I think I'd, I think it came out Friday, so it was right after they won the title, and he was awesome in a lot of those games when he went to the end of the rotation. But he's it, it's a, it's a and I know that the context of playing that motion heavy offense with Stephen Curry helps a lot, but it, it's rare that a six one six two defensive minded limited shooting limited shooting guard like plays as well in the in the postseason does in the regular season, right? I mean, he's his efficiency, efficiency was still great. He was still very good defensively. If it doesn't happen, obviously, you know the the comp for the Sixers would be Matisse Seibel. Uh, and obviously he's a much different player, but you see how much he struggles in the postseason to, you know, maintain that same level of whether it's starting value or rotation value. Whereas, you know, Peyton was still playing 15, 16, 17 minutes. Sometimes he played 
I think he played 25 in game five. So, um, yeah, he, again, obviously the context helps a lot, but that's, that was just so impressive to me is like you, when you're, when we're looking at these free agents, you want to find guys who, you know, are going to give you that you can rely on for 14, 13 minutes a night in the playoffs. Uh, and Gary, obviously, you know, Gary Payton proved that he could do that. And again, the context helps when you're playing a guy like playing with a guy like Steph Curry, who, you know, is constantly drawing double teams. If he's not, he's going to do his own thing. Um, you're in a good spot, but of course the Sixers, you know, also have guys who can draw traps and double teams with, with Harden and, and Embiid. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think Gary would probably be Gary Payton. I should, should say would probably be my, like the ideal target. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the, the most reasonable path to acquire him would be if the Warriors just decide not to pay him as much as he wants. And, um, he's deservedly going to get a huge pay rise because he was, you know, sixth, seventh man, you know, on the best team in the league. Yeah, I thought your piece did a really good job referencing how Curry, Clay, and Poole's gravity might make it easier for him to get those looks, but also gave him credit for actually finishing those looks, his timing on cuts. Sixers fans, I know I read that like any Sixers fan would. You know, we had trouble with Matisse, who was not guarded. So when you watch the finals and you see them, I mean – Gary Payton Jr. ended up playing more minutes than Jordan Poole, which would have been crazy to tell someone watching the Memphis series. Um, so I just think it's pretty interesting. And you wonder, like, well, can this work in Philadelphia without a guy like Steph out there? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, like, I, I, if, you know, in the hypothetical he does, you know, sign with the Sixers, I don't think he would be the same caliber of player. But again, the Sixers are not, and you're not saying this, but the Sixers are not devoid of, offensive you know engines who can kind of bend what the defense does right you know like mb you know draws attention basically when he says past half court different way than steph curry but teams are obviously very concerned with him and and harden you know despite his his scoring regression you know last season uh is still a guy who we saw draw double teams and we and, and that's what we saw like minutes with matisse work so so well in regular season because matisse is rolling and he's cutting and doing stuff like that so then you you bring in a guy like gary payton who shot i think i think i had it in the, in the article but 81% at the rim last year, which seems like almost like a fake stat for, for a guard. <laughs> and again, yep. I know like, you know, you're, you're getting most of those are assisted, but again, as I try to, as I try to, you know, present that you still like, you still have to create those easy opportunities for yourself and convert them. We saw, as you mentioned, Dave, that Matisse would get easy opportunities a lot, but he's not a level of finisher. And I don't, I don't want to like make this a, a pile on Matisse uh, segment, but just kind of contrasting, the, the level of offensive value was such, between these guys who are such good defensive players and, and how Gary, you know, finds a way to play, a, you know, be, be basically the sixth man, maybe, you know, I guess, you know, if you want to kind of rank importance or, you know, value of that, that Warriors finals, you know, you kind of have the, the core four and then you have Kevon Loon, even though Otto Porter was a starter. And then I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a toss up between Poole and, and Peyton. So that's not, we're not having that conversation with Tease, right? Of course the Sixers are a much lesser caliber of team, but, we're talking about Matisse trying to find a way to just to to be a guy you want to play. Whereas with Peyton, it's like he's he was a guy this year that like you wanted to find a way to play him more. Almost it felt like at times. Yeah, that's fair. And so you mentioned Gary Harris is the most likely. Are you buying that his shooting percentages will be similar to what they were last year going forward, or are we going to see some regression towards some of those? Yeah. Teams? So that's yeah, that's that's the the tough part, right? Is that I, I really like the fit of last year's Gary on virtually any team, right? A guy who can, you know, defend a couple positions, pretty good off the ball, getting around screens, good cutter, good shooter, especially from the corners. I don't love the version of Gary that we saw the previous two years where he was dealing with injuries 
and the jumper was like below league average. And I think the defense regressed, regressed a little bit. You didn't look as spry. Um, so I, I, and I tend to, you know, I feel like most of my analysis tends to skew optimistic with a lot of things. So I tend to, to be that way with this, you know, I think that so much of shooting can be one of those things where like, if you're dealing with a lot of injuries, you don't have that rhythm and maybe, and he was a lot of lower body injuries too with him. And so I just wonder like, maybe if, he, if he's finally going to be right for extended period, he got his rhythm back and, you know, he felt kind of stability in that, that lower body when he was releasing shots and stuff. Um, so I, I tend to say yes, but that's definitely an important thing to, you know, caution, right. That, you know, he could be a guy who's 32% from three and, and obviously Sixers fans are well-versed in the, the perils of acquiring someone who, you know, is, is billed as a reliable shooter. And then ultimately does not, you know, meet that criteria when, when he's playing for the Sixers. So I, I lean yes, but I understand the hesitancy for sure there. I, I remember drinking some Kool-Aid about how once Jonathan Simmons wrist is better than who knows. <laughs> so um, what about a few other free agency guys? People have been talking about like Prince, Tucker, Warren, Lamb, DeLon Wright, Tyus, Slow-Mo. I know you've enjoyed in the past. Otto, Macklemore, Snell. Are there any other guys that you that you have on the queue profiling? Yeah, so I have Kyle Anderson on there. Um, he's a guy. I also do on right. Um, but again, those are two guys that I worry just might be outside the Sixers' price range. Um, you know, I could see. I mean, Kyle Anderson, you know, just finished up a you know a deal where he was making you know about nine million a year, which is you know as we said more than the Sixers can offer right now. Is you know we're looking about you know and and as, and they're and they're gonna you know Daryl has a history of being able to you know finagle more cap flexibility than maybe is is evident on the surface. So. I'm sure they'll have more than just about, you know, just the, the, the taxpayer Emily. But for now, I just worry that a guy like Kyle Anderson might be outside of their range. But I do like his fit. Um, I, I think, you know, you know, I feel like I've, you know, in these profiles, a recurring thing is me talking about the idea that they need kind of more physicality and, you know, versatility defensively. Um, and I think Kyle, you know, obviously provides that he's great with it. He's great with angles, has incredible hands, um, you know, is not a great offensive player, but a very good passer. Um, can, you know, you're not relying on him to create shots, but every now and then he can kind of do it with that frame, that herky-jerky style of his. So um, I like that a lot because as much as I think, you know, George Ning is a very useful player for the Sixers, we saw kind of how how depleted their bench looks when he is in matchups that are not favorable for him as, you know, as the, the second round was when the jumper, you know, he couldn't he, he couldn't hit a, the ocean with a beach ball in that second round, unfortunately, for a lot of yeah. it. Um, so I, I like the idea of kind of a, a very different stylistic four. Um, and I also think, you know, you can play Anderson in, in kind of different spots here, right? Even though he's a four, I don't think like you couldn't necessarily, you wouldn't be in a bad position if you wanted to like run the Yang and Anderson lineups. So, um, yeah, I like that fit a lot. I, I, I get the idea of auto Porter and, and I, I think it makes sense, but then I think you'd be looking to move off the Yang, right? Like I think Otto's a better player, but you, it doesn't feel like the best use of your limited flexibility, right? If you're going to dress, if you're going to sign another stretch four, um, who, you know, is, is limited in space. And I think Otto's much better defensively. I think he's a, a pretty useful interior guy as a helper. Um, but obviously him and Yang are, are not guys you want to be left in space defensively on the perimeter. So, um, my answer with Otto would be, I like him if they, if they decide to move Niang, but I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not like, you know, saying they need to rush Niang at the door. There's clearly, you know, he is clear, clearly value in this rotation, even though he was, you know, a liability in that second round. So, um, and then DeLon, yeah, I, I, I want to write up DeLon as well. As well. Um, 
I like kind of the versatility he brings at the point guard position. Uh, defensively, really good playing the passing lines, good length. Um, can be passive at times offensively, uh, which, which can be frustrating if you're rooting for him or you're watching him. But uh, can get downhill, pretty good passer as well. Um, decent shooter. I worry a little bit about his shooting just because he has kind of a slow release. And I think in most lineups, you're going to see, you know, a Harden or Embiid dominate, you know, the offense and rightfully so. Um, so I, I wonder a little bit about that. Like, is he going to be like, is he a guy that you can sag off of and then recover slowly because of that, that kind of that elongated release. But I like a lot of what DeLon brings. But again, I, I worry that he's out of, out of the price range and he might just stay with Atlanta. Had a really nice year with the Hawks this season uh, post trip. I think he started the year with the Kings, if I recall. Um, so, and they have his bird rights as well. And, you know, the, the Prelims also have, you know, slow most bird rights. So, um, yeah, I, those are a couple of guys that I like, but yeah, again, I, I don't, I don't know how plausible any of these are, and especially, and you've mentioned the auto, like, uh, you know, I, I, I never want to like, kind of like, you don't want to psychoanalyze anyone, but you can see on the surface, there's probably a lot of appeal for him just to, to stay in golden state, right. You know, we want to ring, he had a clear role. Uh, he finally stayed healthy for basically the entire year, despite some issues, you know, after so many years of unfortunate health. So, um, you know, I, I'm skeptical that, you know, any of these guys are going to be in that, in that kind of that, in that grouping of both the price range of the Sixers and a desire to leave where they previously played. Yeah, that's tough. And, and a lot of these guys, <laughs> I'm thinking like when you watch the James Harden, Joel and B pick and roll, when they're both looking pretty spry and healthy, you really just want as much spacing as possible around that. A lot of these guys, you have questionable spacing, even if you could afford them. Um, so I get why they might be. We just heard a report uh, that they might be aggressively shopping Danny Green for his $10 million before that that goes away, essentially, and the number 23 pick. Have you allowed yourself to wonder if there's anyone in the $10 million range that could fill sort of that two-way role where you can actually rely on the, the open three-pointers going in? Yeah, that's a good question because, yeah, obviously, right, if you're moving off Danny, you're going to open up, you know, a good bit of, you know, flexibility, right, with, you know, just, just to assign some sort of rotation player. Um, I, you know, a guy that doesn't necessarily meet the the two-way, I mean, well, I guess in, certain, in some ways he does, but um, the two-way mold that we've kind of talked about is TJ Warren. I know he's, he's a free agent, but, um, you know, I, I like I like kind of the flyer of him there, and I know that we're kind of talking about trades, but just, just looking at Spotrack, going through the guys who are, you know, free agents. He's, he's a pretty good on-ball defender, you know, Koshko positions a three and the four. Clearly has quite the the bag of ISO scoring of in, you know, in his, you know, arsenal. Um, but trade-wise, I haven't thought a lot about that side of things. Um, I, I wonder about, you know, you know, Mont- Monty Morris is someone that's been reportedly available. Um, I could see something where, and maybe this, I don't, you know, I don't want Nuggets fans to you know bring out their pitchforks, but I could see pretty plausibly, you know, some sort of Matisse, Danny, twenty three for for Monty and something else. Uh, I mean, a future second or maybe you know about just some, like a player who's you know has the salary to kind of facilitate the deal. Um, you know, Monty's making about nine million, I think. I think he's about three twenty seven. Um, I, I think the Sixers could could span to upgrade, you know, their their third ball handler. Um, or, or whatever you want. I mean, because I think, I think we clearly saw that Maxi and, and Tobias can handle the ball, but you like them a lot when they're on those off-ball roles, right? Whereas Harden and, and Embiid are going to be doing the, the dribbling, and you know Embiid is not going to be, you know, aside from the occasional kind of the wing inverted pick and roll, he's not going to be spamming pick and roll from top of the key, right? So I think Monty makes sense. There's clearly a guy who, uh, you know, has some, you know, can run pick and rolls, can get to that. He loves the elbows with the pull-ups. 
Um, you know, it was, it was a good pass, good be conservative at times. Obviously, everyone, you know, lauds the, the assist to turnover ratio, but I think to a degree that also kind of, you know, illuminates his his conservative nature as a plaster, but still a good one. Um, so I like that a lot. I think he's not great defensively, but I, I think, you know, it's cliche, but he does compete and he uses his strength about as well as he can for a six foot one guard. So um, that's just a trade that kind of popped into mind because we, you know, we know that we know that the Nuggets are probably like more defensive minded players. Yeah, as, as we saw in the first round, they could really use some of those in the perimeter. They could um, use Matisse for sure. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying, right? That you, if you, if you're able to, you know, that, that's a move that you can make and then you can like, you still have, you still have guys like in in free agency that I think you can make. Like I could see a guy like and this is a much lesser caliber player than maybe what we discussed. Not that everyone we discussed is in the same tier, but I could see them getting like Derek Jones Jr. Um, mm. You know, I think that could be you know like if you're going to make the move for Monty and then you sign Derek Jones Jr. to kind of you know replace Matisse. Of course, he's a much lesser defender than Matisse, but better finisher. Um, probably about the same caliber of shooter in terms of the shots they make and the way the defense is you know. Provide attention to them, um, but yeah, it's just kind of one you know feasible outcome that I could see over the next you know month or so. Um, but really, it's just me spitballing there. I don't I don't know if that's something Nuggets are interested. I don't know if Derek June, Derek Jones Jr. wants to you know leave Chicago. Um, but yeah, just kind of one outcome I could see occurring here. Yeah, I like those names. I think uh, when I pulled up looking for guys who could shoot, guys who ranked highly for secondary assists, Monty was at the top of the list for you know, for that category, like hockey assists. So he's an unselfish player who likes to shoot. Um, it also gave me a little bit of heartburn thinking about that because I, I think if you trace back some of the Sixers wasted assets, given away second round picks, they could have had him. So sometimes <laughs> when I hear his name, I'm like, well, they could have just had him. Uh, but I also like the Derek Jones Jr. Idea. I wonder if, you know, Daryl Moore is always looking for guys where he could develop a skill they have, but they're not doing a ton of get more value. I wonder if he could develop a little bit of that short roll game and become a lob threat with James Harden because Sixers haven't really had one. I know that that's probably the thinking originally in getting a guy like DeAndre Jordan, but you wonder if you're looking for things to add, maybe a guy who could just run a pick and roll and finish a lob would be something that would be great. And I don't see that as a target in the draft. And I haven't heard many names where I think of that either. Uh, Jones Jr. might be one. Yeah, we we he played he did some short roll stuff this past year with Chicago, um, you know, with Demar and and Levine drawing traps, pretty you know pretty you know consistently, not like all the time, of course, but there were defenses that you know through the kitchen sink at those two. Um, and I think you know Daryl has shown a willingness to kind of you know acquire those funky players, maybe deploy them in a or you know I guess he's not the coach, but you know put them in these kind of I guess unique positions necessarily, you know. When you have you have Rocco playing the five, you have Russell Westbrook being a roller. So, um, and again, that's that's not necessarily him running the offense. Of course, that's that's the Tony stuff. But um, you know, I think he's clearly you know he's not shown a, a a shyness when it comes to acquiring these kind of funkier players. But I, and I think what's important to remind remind remember, my goodness, um, <laughs> in general is like you're not like given how limited the Sixers cap flexibility is regardless of even if they make some moves to open up more you're not gonna like you're not gonna find a bunch of guys that you feel great about playing the second round of beyond that's just that's just not how free agency works like you have you have to pay those guys a lot of money typically like it is a rarity that a guy like gary Payton jr is on the minimum or whatever he made very very little money you know, very little through the nba um and it is a guy that you can trust in game six the nba finals like so i just want like i because I'll, I'll write about these 
these guys and I'll, I'll, I'll get replies or I'll, I'll see some of the comments, you know, I'm literally, and this isn't me like, I'm not trying to, you know, lambast them, but like they'll, they'll kind of, they'll poke holes in this game. And it's like, that's fair, but you have to remember that like, again, you're not going to find like a, a dependable seventh man for two million, two years, two, 12 million dollars. It's just not the nature of how, how things work. So um, important to remember, remember that like all these guys can help the Sixers to varying degrees, but they still might come to a, to a place where they're they, they get the George Niang syndrome, you know, for lack of a better term, just in the sense that like a great player who helped them through, you know, 88 games or whatever it was, but still had, you know, and still has clear value on the team, but might be a guy you have some pause about come second round and beyond if the Sixers are, you know, fortunate enough to make it there again. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you have to hit on those synergies at the top and bottom of your roster in terms of payroll. If the Sixers were getting everything out of Joel, James, and Tobias, then a guy who's playing well for $2 million becomes very, very valuable. And I think the Warriors hit on that when they got almost max level value out of Andrew Wiggins. They didn't expect that. Um, they probably weren't sure at one point if Clay would be able to play as well as he did. So it was room there for someone to blossom in the way that Livingston had or David West once upon a time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's what the best teams do, right? Is that they they are so good at the top that they make everything easier for those role players, right? So, um, yeah, and, and like a couple other guys that I, I think that I could could be interesting. Um, you know, or, or we'll keep on the Warriors train. Um, fell out of rotation this year, but Juan Toscano Anderson was a guy that I thought was was really really interesting and, and good for them two years ago. Um, I doubt he leaves because he's another guy that you know kind of got his big break in the Bay. Um, I think he's from the Bay, if I recall. Um, so I doubt he'll leave. He's a guy that I think could make some sense for the Sixers. Good cutter, good short roll passer. Um, still presents the issues of not much of a floor spacer, but couldn't defend a few positions. Pretty smart, you know, defensively. Um, I think he kind of fell in the rotation because of that passivity offensively. Um, but again, when you're looking at the Warriors' 11th man, uh, he can be someone that functions as the Sixers' eighth or ninth man. Uh, and that is good enough to provide lots of value, even if it's just a more of a regular season context. So I like that. Devon Reed's another guy. Um, he's a guy that I think shot pretty well from three this year with the Nuggets, and I think also shot well in college. Um, can guard a couple positions, pretty good on the ball. Um, can even put the ball in the deck a little bit. Not something again, not something you wanted to do a ton of, but um, I thought it was a pretty big mistake for the Nuggets to not make him playoff eligible with the way they structured his contract. Um, he's a restricted free agent, so. Um, for the Nuggets' sake, I hope they retain him because they, you know, as we mentioned, that he need, they need more perimeter defense. Um, but he's a guy, you know, bigger wing, pretty mobile, um, decent shooter. So a couple more names that I, that I think come to mind that could make some sense here. Um, so just kind of spitballing again. We're we're we are we're talking about seventh eighth men because that's just how the nature of the Sixers, you know, uh, cap space allows. But um, just two more names maybe look out for that that could be players to provide, you know some more defensive versatility and, you know, an off ball, uh, off ball feel, which I think is, is, is quite the important trait, you know, playing alongside Harden and Embiid. A couple big ticket items besides the NBA draft. I know you, uh, you wrote about one of them when Jake Fisher posted that looks like the Sixers are going to lock up James Harden on a short-term deal. Initial thoughts on that. I think it makes sense for, for everyone. I mean, I think obviously, you know, for Harden's sake, he'd probably prefer to get that, that max deal, but, um, I think, you know, he's, you know, he, it seems like he's probably the way that Jake was right, like reading read that article, the way that he wrote it, it sounds like it's going to be like a, a max 
a max deal in terms of like amount per year, but just a shorter, you know, you know, total, total years. Right. Like I think he was saying that like, cause he was, he was writing like one of the things he wrote about and noted in there was that, um, that if Harden signs a deal at least six months after the trade, which would be August 10th, um, that he can make like 1.5 million more dollars over the course of the three-year deal, including this in, in, in under, under the presumption that he opts in, which I think was what, um, what they were saying, right? That like that's that's the way that 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 Jake wrote about was he's going to opt in and then get a two year extension on top of that, which would if he does that past August tenth, it would give it would yield him about one hundred fifty million dollars, I think is what he said. Um, if I recall that that digit yeah. correctly, that number I, I, um, that was the number that I started thinking when I read it. I know your friend and former Liberty Bar Sixers Adam said like obviously this is a good thing. Um, but there were also some fans who had the feeling, well, we wanted it to be a four or a five year deal where the first year is much lower. So there's more wiggle room for Daryl to work with. Um, do, how do you think fans should feel hearing the Fisher report, basically? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I guess I kind of got on tangent there. I apologize. But I, I no, no. think. <laughs> Let's tangent uh, away. <laughs> awesome. Um, I, I'm trying to know to do that on podcast sometimes. But um, I think, I mean. Yeah, ideally you would you would want that little more wiggle room as you noted, but I don't think it's bad because like and this could this could be obvious and again it could tie back to my idea of being overly optimistic about players, but but I do just have a certain a certain like instinct that he's going to be better next year. I just like I just and again he was like again yes game game six against the Heat the second half um, was what was that awful. was he. Was that something that we've seen in the past where he vanishes in a big spot? Was that the hamstring? How do you explain that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think like he just, he just gets passive and it, it's, 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 it's not a new development. We've, you know, we saw him, you know, become a ghost. And then I think the, the, the infamous one, right. Is, is the, the game game six against the Spurs from Kawhi didn't play. And he only took like 11 shots or whatever. And, um, and so like, we've seen him grow passive at times. I, I don't, I can't explain that. Obviously it's, you know, it's, you can't have that when you're the team's second best player. Um, but anyhow, like, I think he was still really good this year and made like everyone else, like Embiid's numbers post off, like what, what did Embiid like 32 points on like 66% true shooters on a ridiculous post all star break, like, uh, maxi average, like 20 on like 65% true shooting post all star break. Obviously we saw how good he was in the playoffs too. Um, so like, I think despite that, like, he was still really good and still, and he was still an all-star this year and deservedly so. And so I think he's like, he's, I just think he's going to be, I think he's going to figure like the heart, the hamstrings to get a little better. I think we saw at times that like, it seemed like his explosiveness was explosiveness, explosiveness was a very fickle thing for him. Right. Um, and so like, I think in general, like I feel fine about it. I think if you're a Sixers fan, you should feel fine about it. I wouldn't say great necessarily because you know, there is the chance that he is not better next year. and could be worse. You know, as he continues to age, he, you know, was a guy that was super durable with an incredible workload and played a ton of minutes and barely missed time. Um, it just tends to, to wear on your body. Um, and you know, on top of that with the hamstring, you know, that, 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 that soft tissue injury can always be something that's precarious for a while. Um, but I think you should feel fine about it. I think he's an all-star caliber player who made everyone's life much easier offensively. Um, despite kind of having to adjust everything on the fly, I think a full offseason to get healthy, learn some, learn more of the offense, you know, I think the, some of the onus too will be on Doc Rivers to, um, you know, just I think more like more wrinkles, you know, more two man game with him and Maxi, even some Tobias stuff, even with Embiid. So, um, short answer, I think you should be fine. I wouldn't say like over the moon, but I also wouldn't say the sky is falling. So, 
um, I think it's a fine deal. I think it makes sense. And we'll, we'll see it, you know, what, what, what comes of it, what comes of that report. I think, you know, Jake's done a really good job of being on, on point with a lot of the stuff. So, and he, you know, obviously he's, you know, he's, he's plugged in with the Philadelphia stuff as well. You know, he built the, he wrote the book or he wrote the book, you know, uh, what I can't remember the name of, I apologize, but you know, about the Sixers and all that. So clearly he's got sources within the Philadelphia organization. So I think it'll come to fruition, but I, I think you should feel fine on, on the whole. Yeah. The, the last thing I'll ask you about is the other element in both Fisher's posts and his book was built to lose how the NBA's tanking era changed league forever. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but the other element was Tobias Harris. The Sixers are at least checking the market temperature and both Fisher's piece and Pompey's piece from earlier in the week talked about maybe Harris's camp wanting more of an on ball role. Do you have any reaction to that little nugget sort of thrown in into both? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was like a pretty significant like piece of news, right? So, and I, I felt so. like they both, it felt like they both kind of like, you know, sneaked not, it in. not not buried the lead necessarily, um, because the Harden stuff is quite significant as well. But it, it felt like it was just kind of like a, a throw in, which in it's a significant throw in. It to me, it 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 makes sense, but it's also like, I don't, I don't, because I, I don't know, how do I phrase it? Because I never want to, you know, I, I, players can do as they wish. I never want, and like, I never want to like encroach in their, you know, autonomy there. But it's just not, to me, it's not Tobias's best role. I think you saw that, right? Like, we saw what happens when he has touches for too long. And we also saw what happens when he makes quick decisions. And, and can can you preserve energy? I mean, he talked about it too right? that he he was able to preserve energy offensively and apply it defensively. We saw how much better he played defensively, you know, for a lot of that that playoff run. So um, it makes sense because, like, you know, like anyone can attest, having the ball and dribbling like is fun. Like just on like on a, on a human level, like it's fun <laughs> to have the ball and 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 use it and and, and bounce it and stuff. Um, and I could also see it be one of those things where, as his deal gets to the end of it, that like he he thinks that like if he has more of an on-ball you know uh, role that he could have a, his next payday could be bigger than if he's a, kind of this this juiced up three and d guy three and d guy right so um it, it was a logical sentiment but one that i don't think is ideal for maximizing his game but uh, it's you know it's not my position to tell him what is was best for him necessarily yeah i dug into it a little bit and i saw that you know his pick and roll ball handler percentiles are very high so he, he has an argument to be made like they were higher than uh, James Harden's in the playoffs, but on very, very small sample, he'd only run it like 13 times. So like you said, it's, it's, there's a human element to having fun and feeling like you're doing what you're best at and not just trying to like Mori ball your game to work as the third banana. Um, at the same time, maybe that gives the Sixers a, even more incentive than they already had to check the market temperature. If he's not going to be happy, you know, trying to model his game into whatever they want. If he is going to be here though, and you were going to run more ball action for him, I guess for me, ideally you would no longer marry his minutes to James Harden's because that's not ideal. Maybe you could just play him when Harden sits and run some with Joe. Yeah. And I think also, again, like it, it feels like you talk about those 96 Sixers podcast, but it would again, put onus on doc rivers to, and Dave Yeager, you know, the, Dave Yeager is, is the noted, you know, offensive uh, coordinator, you know. Uh, um, and to, had a nice cameo in Hustle. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. Um, but uh, would put the onus on them to, I think, get a little more creative in how you would deploy those on-ball opportunities for Tobias. Really. I, I don't think you don't want to run, like if Tobias wants more pick and rolls and you want to accommodate that, 
you don't want to do the exact same thing you would do with, with a James Harden. You're not ready to spread pick and roll from the top of the key. I think you'd want more second side actions where Tobias is kind of getting the ball on the move and flowing the pick and rolls. Um, so things like, you know, Tobias runs through a pin down and then he gets the ball on the move and flows into pick and roll. Like another, maybe there's a lob to, you know, or about a, a pocket pass to Joel or a lob to, you know, let's just say a Paul Reed or a, or a Charles Bassey or a lay down to one of them. Uh, or you can get to you can get to those mid range pull ups. He's pretty comfortable with. Um, obviously, we've seen that Tobias is much more comfortable off the dribble from kind of mid range than he is from three. Um, so you'd have to get more creative there. I think you can do it if, if that's kind of what everyone agrees to. But again, it can't just be like spread pick and roll from top of the key because that's not Tobias's thing. We've seen, we've seen that Tobias can get rattled a little bit by ball pressure, uh, and when he has kind of an expansive list of things to survey offensively, he is not ideal there. So kind of narrowing in what he could do when he does have the, the ball in his hands would be ideal. And that's kind of, again, the, the responsibility would fall on the coaching staff to, you know, be aware of his, his strength and limitations. Do you think that he, all right, let's end on a prediction. Do you think that he will be here for the first game of the regular season? I do. I do. I think it just, I mean, it just seems, it seems really tough to envision like what, like who, who is interested in acquiring Tobias and, and I think, and like, and who, like, because the reality is like, I don't think teams view him as someone they have to trade for and like, they have to give up things. Right. I think it's like, he's a good player, but one who was making, you know, the eighth or ninth most money in, in the league. And uh, the six would have to, to attach, you know, a young player or a pick. And they clearly don't have an abundance of enticing young players and picks, you know, their, their best young player, Tyrus Maxey, and they're not, not moving tight like they don't they don't have a lot of like kind of those influx young players it feels all right they're like they're I, like they like they're kind of in that in-between spot they have they're young players who don't play or young players who are great like Tarek maxi so i think he's been on the team and uh i think for the sixers sake you would hope that he is continues still content with that off-ball role because he really was great in it for the last you know two months of the year right basically from that that Nets game onward when the, when the Sixers got spanked Tobias, you know, in that Nets game in early March, Tobias had a good game and he was basically money from there on out. I know he had some hiccups, you know, late in the heat series, but um, you clearly saw how good he could be in that role. And so um, I think he'll be back. And, you know, if he continues to, you know, bring the same approach that he did for the final, you know, two months, which he kind of, once he kind of figured out how to discern that role, um, he'll be in a pretty good spot. Talking to Jackson, Frank. Jackson, congratulations to you on a great year of coverage. I know us at Liberty Ballers, we're really lucky to have you and your eye. And I know you're not just following the Sixers, but you're following the NBA at large. So when we talk about things like free agency and trades, um, you're coming from a very informed position that a lot of fans can appreciate. So thanks. Great, great talking to you. And is there anything you want to plug? Anything you're looking forward to? Uh, no, I appreciate the kind words, and you know I'm looking forward to a little bit, of, a little bit of rest over the next couple of months here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wrote a thing at Basketball News about kind of the Warriors and Draymond and the staff. I've got those free agency profiles that we alluded to. So if you're looking, if you if you're an NBA fan who is looking, an NBA Sixers fan who is looking to kind of learn more about some of these free agents, uh, check those out. Um, you know, just wrote one Gary Payton that came out Friday, but appreciate you having me on. Appreciate the kind words and. Um, looking forward to talking all things Sixers over the next few months and beyond. Do you want to bang the gavel for us? Are the Warriors a dynasty or not? The Celtics fans out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, you win four titles in eight years. You make you make six finals. I think you got to be considered a dynasty, right? I think it just 
it just, you know, it, it, it seems like a logical label for them, but uh, I understand maybe the entity considering, considering, you know, they, you know, it's been kind of a, a weird, it's been almost three eras, right? You have the, the pre KD post with KD and post KD uh, warriors, but they, they win with, they win in all three scenarios. So I think that's, that's very much the mark of a dynasty. Yeah. I'm good with it. All right. Thanks so much.